This is the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, the host and creator of this podcast that takes a look back at some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters. The story of Hank Clayson's murder is one a listener informed me about many months ago, a year ago, probably over a year ago. I did a little research on it, then put it on my to-do list. Hank Clayson retired from the California Highway Patrol in 1979. He had a 32-year career in law enforcement. He dedicated his life to service, first in the military, then protecting the citizens of Bakersfield and Kern County. Yet he became the ultimate victim, murdered in his own home. This is Hank Clayson's Homicide. Heber Clayson was born in 1922 in his family's sod house on a farm in northern New Mexico. Oh, his given name was Heber, but everyone knew him as Hank. He grew up in northern New Mexico, played center for his high school six-man football team. After graduating from high school, Hank followed the wheat harvest throughout the Midwest. He moved to California in 1940. He took a job with the Union Pacific Railroad. After the bombing of Pearl Harbor, Hank took a construction job rebuilding that military installation. Even though his job was deemed essential to the war effort, he was drafted into the Navy in 1944. He served in the Pacific Theater before being honorably discharged in 1946. That's when he came to Bakersfield. His first job here was as a bus driver with the Orange Belt Stages. He met and married Verda in 1947. That's the same year he got hired with the Bakersfield Police Department. Hank was a motorcycle officer with the department, and while he was with the BPD, he was the field training officer for the force's first African-American officer, something Hank took great pride in. He went over to the Kern County Sheriff's Office in 1949. There, he became an expert fingerprint analyst. Then, in 1952, Hank was hired by the California Highway Patrol, and that's where he stayed for the remainder of his law enforcement career. Hank and Verda raised their family on Richland Street, just off H Street. But with the construction of Highway 58, their family home became victim to eminent domain, so they bought a house on Tallman Avenue off of Norris Road. There was something from the Richland Street House that Hank wanted to move to the new place, the garage. So he applied for all the necessary permits. Cutting through all that red tape wasn't easy. All the permits were eventually approved, all but one. Probably the most important one, the permit that gave permission to actually move the structure over public streets. Being a CHP officer gave Hank 
a little insight into how to get around this obstacle. He just moved the garage late at night under the cover of darkness without a permit. Law enforcement is inherently dangerous, and Hank did experience at least one close call. Someone he was taking into custody pulled a weapon on him. Thanks to the quick actions of a fellow officer, the person was knocked off balance and Hank was unharmed. Hank had a lifelong fascination and love for geology, gems, and minerals. He was a rock hound. He loved cracking rocks in two and exposing their inner beauty and polishing them to a splendid hue. When I set out researching this story, I did what I normally do. I search archived copies of the Bakersfield Californian. I was curious to see if Hank was ever involved in any of the stories I've already done. I didn't find anything like that. What I did find was a man who was heavily involved in the local gym and mineral clubs and societies. He held multiple positions in these clubs throughout the years. Just about every article I found related to Hank was about rocks and gems and minerals. Hank Clayson retired from the CHP in 1979. He had 27 years with that agency, 32 total in law enforcement. Retirement for Hank meant he could spend more time with his rocks. He'd visit schools to teach kids about all the different types of rocks. He and Verda took a lot of trips in their travel trailer, traveling to gem and mineral shows and exhibits all over the country. Sadly, in 1997, Verda passed away, just shy of the couple's 50th wedding anniversary. After Verda's death, Hank continued living in the Tallman Avenue house, living alone. Despite being well into his 70s, the widower lived an independent life, he was still in good physical condition. Nobody worried about his safety. He was next cop. He knew how to protect himself in his home. Late in the afternoon of April 16, 2001, the Kern County Sheriff's Office responded to an apartment complex off of Norris Road near Knudsen. They were answering a domestic disturbance call. A female named Paula Linethgum assaulted an ex-boyfriend of hers and his current girlfriend. Linethcom attacked both victims with a knife, stabbed both in their throats. Before fleeing, Linethcom sprayed both of her victims with pepper spray. Linethcom, a 28-year-old mother to six, dropped her weapons at this location and took off on foot. When the deputies arrived at the apartment, they got a description of the assailant, they began patrolling the area, searching for Linethcombe. She wasn't driving, so she was probably still in the vicinity. A resident in the neighborhood called 911 to report someone climbing a fence into a property, into a property adjacent to the rear of Hank Clayson's house on Tallman Avenue. When deputies got to Hank's home, Linethcombe burst out of the back door that opened onto a side yard, Linethcombe was wearing one of Hank's shirts and a bedsheet as a skirt. She ran and jumped into Hank's car that was parked under a carport. She started the engine. The deputies surrounded the vehicle with weapons drawn. 
Linethcombe backed up into the deputies. They fired a volley of shots at the escaping suspect. Even though she'd been struck, she still managed to drive Hank Clayson's car north on Tallman Avenue. A deputy in a patrol car crashed his into the fleeing car, just a few houses away from Hank's. Once the deputies determined Linethcombe no longer posed a threat, they made their way into Hank's home. Inside, they discovered the 78-year-old ex-cop dead on his living room floor with his gun by his side. Sergeant Glenn Johnson described the scene as the bloodiest he'd ever seen in his career. Paula Linethcombe, the perpetrator in this incident, later died from her wounds. Friends and family celebrated Hank Clayson's life at the Firefighters Union Hall on Mount Vernon. He was survived by his brother Cal, his sons Richard and Stephen, his daughter Linda, and their families. When deputies found Hank Clayson's body, his personal weapon was next to it. If you're like me, you're probably wondering why, if Mr. Clayson was able to get to his gun, why didn't he use it? The Bakersfield Californian quoted Sergeant Glenn Johnson as saying, if you could see the crime scene, you'd understand. Johnson didn't elaborate. I interviewed Sean Clayson about his grandfather's homicide. What the Sheriff's Department told us was that she had made her way all the way through the backyard into the into the backyard of where Grandpa's house was. And he was on the couch having his, after, as he would call it, his afternoon siesta. She came in the back door, you know, because he didn't keep any doors locked. Armed herself with a knife from the butcher block on the because you walk right into the kitchen. Turned the corner, and that's when she encountered him on the couch. And they, that's where the fight ensued. Um, he was able to get up and get down the, down the hallway and around into his bedroom. And at that point, he grabbed his 38 revolver and made his way. I don't know if he had her, had the door shut or was trying to barricade her out or what have you, but he got the gun. Somehow they ended up back out into the front room and what they what they gather was is that his hands were so full of defense wounds that he couldn't operate the gun anymore so hank was able to fight his attacker off get away from her get his gun but the defense wounds he sustained to his hands made it impossible for him to operate his gun i don't know if i if, where i heard it if it was it's been 20 some years ago I want to say there were something like 56 fatal stab wounds. So then from there, she had, obviously, Grandpa was no longer a threat. She had went into the bathroom and cleaned herself up and actually got put on some of his clothes. Because you could imagine she was a mess, right? Um put on some of his clothes and then was able to locate the keys to his car. As all of this is happening, the, the, the sheriffs pull up to the side of the house. 
As for Paula Linethcombe's other victims that day, her ex-boyfriend and his current girlfriend at the time, their wounds were non-life-threatening. I'd like to thank Sean Clayson for taking the time to talk to me. Since the perpetrator died, there was no criminal trial, so there wasn't a lot of coverage of this story. There were only two news stories in the Bakersfield, Californian regarding this horrific crime. Sean was able to answer a lot of questions I had about his grandfather's life and tragic death. Resources used to research this story, the Bakersfield Californian, and of course, Sean Clayson. This is Robert Peterson. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'll be back next week, next Tuesday, with another notorious Bakersfield story. Until then, stay safe, stay out of trouble. Don't become a future episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. See you next week.